This is AgriPulse Daybreak West for Wednesday, May 8th. Good morning. I'm Jeff Daly. Here's today's headlines. Numbers on state lobbying. Trump threat a huge, huge risk. H-2A reform left out of initial immigration plan. And the frog jump is today. Ag industry spending slightly less on state lobbying in 2019. During the first quarter of 19, overall lobbying at the California legislature went up 3% over this time last year. The ag sector, however, down 9%, spending $1.2 million. That's about 1% of the state's total of $87.3 million, with oil and gas companies supplying the largest individual expenditures. The top spender for ag in the quarter was the California Farm Bureau at $142,800, followed by the Wine Institute at $137,500, and the Western Growers at $80,900. Of note, the Agriculture Energy Consumers Association, which lobbied the legislature, also spending $15,000 lobbying the Public Utilities Commission on more technical-ish areas of the law. New to the game, it's the cannabis cultivation company, TerraTech, spending $24,000, triple what it spent last quarter when it first lobbied. Small but dedicated, the Pesticide Action Network reported spending at just $2,500 on lobbying. The group supported bills like SB 458 on banning chlorperifos and opposed several budget proposals, including the Department of Food and Agriculture's request for staff funding to combat citrus greening, an effort to keep the citrus industry healthy in the state. H-2A reform left for later. President Donald Trump met with a dozen senators yesterday to talk immigration reform plans that the White House has been developing. There was little discussion, though, about overhauling H-2A and other guest worker programs. The focus instead was on strengthening border security and reforming the nation's legal immigration system. The president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and USDA advisor Christy Boswell have been working on a plan that would reform H-2A. But Senator David Perdue, a Georgia Republican, told AgriPulse that reforming guest worker programs, a top priority for many in agriculture, being left to later. Purdue said, we think that gets a little bit too broad. Senator Kevin Kramer, a North Dakota Republican, also said the meeting steered away from guest worker issues. Kramer said of the administration's proposal, I don't want to call it modest, but it's in the doable range. U.S.-China trade rift spreads uncertainty. U.S. ag sector leaders and farm state lawmakers hoping Trump's hardball tactics with China, raising the tariff rate on $200 billion in Chinese goods, will help to force a quick, successful trade deal. But there's also a lot of fear that the escalation will do just the opposite. Senator Johnny Ernst of Iowa told reporters hopefully he has a negotiating strategy and hopefully this will bring China to the table. If it doesn't, It was a huge, huge risk, and our farmers are losing patience. U.S. Dairy Export Council President and CEO Tom Vilsack told AgriPulse he's worried China will retaliate, prolonging the negotiations between the two countries and extending the pain U.S. ag exporters are enduring because of Chinese retaliatory tariffs. Producers pessimistic about China trade resolution before July. Many farmers are pessimistic about a U.S.-China trade deal happening before July. That, according to Purdue University's latest ag economy barometer, a monthly measure of farmer sentiment. In the April survey of 400 ag producers across the country, only 28% of respondents feel 
the two countries will reach an agreement in the next two months. The number is down 45% for March. However, 71% do feel there will be an agreement eventually benefiting agriculture. The overall reading for the barometer was 115 for April, down 10 points from this time last year, down 18 points from March. Now, for more on the trade talks, plus a look at the Democratic Energy Tax Plan and the impact of this spring's flooding on waterways, read this week's AgriPulse newsletter. Bernhardt and Democrats tangle over ethics charges. Interior Secretary David Bernhardt defended himself on charges of ethics violations and said he has no legal mandate to deal with climate change at a hearing of the House Interior Appropriators Subcommittee yesterday. In sometimes testy exchanges with Democratic lawmakers, Bernhardt said he has acted within the ethics laws and predicted he would be cleared of any charges when the department's inspector general finishes investigating. Among the allegations that Bernhardt killed the biological evaluation of three pesticides found harm to endangered species. He also said that in all the laws directing him to take action on various matters, there's not a shall for I shall manage the land to stop climate change. Ross, Indiana has a long way to go. India, with its 281 million consumers between the ages of 20 and 35, has the potential to be a major trading partner with the U.S., but the country's massive trade barriers are in the way. U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross speaking at a trade conference in New Delhi. India's tariffs on imported goods are the highest of any major world economy, Ross said, including tariffs on U.S. farm commodities that average 114%. India has the world's third largest economy, and by 2030, it's expected to become the world's largest consumer market because of the rapid growth of the middle class, according to Ross. Yet today, it's our only 13th largest export market due to overly restrictive market access barriers. In the meantime, the U.S. is India's largest export market. EPA advisors talking hemp. EPA Pesticide Program Dialogue Committee, well, they'll devote two hours today to discussion of hemp cultivation, a popular topic, since the Farm Bill did legalize production of the industrial cousin of marijuana. The agency's Office of Pesticide Programs will provide an overview of the Farm Bill's provisions and hear from PDDC members on how OPP might best move forward with the policy regarding pesticide use on hemp. That according to the agenda for the two-day meeting. PPDC is made up of environmental and public interest groups, pesticide manufacturers, trade associations, commodity groups, public health and academic institutions, federal and state agencies, and, of course, the general public. Capital Frog Jump today, perhaps symbolizing the mad race to pass legislation lately, dozens of lawmakers will take to the Capitol grass to kiss and jump their frogs to the finish line. The event spans more than 30 years and is rooted in Mark Twain's breakout story, The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County. It takes place just a 90-minute hop from the Capitol. And the frogs have much to jump about. Jumping for joy, the red-legged frog featured in the Twain story has now returned to Yosemite National Park after an absence of nearly half-century. Jumping from us, A.B. 1586, would have banned public schools from dissecting frogs and other creatures, but the bill failed to leap out of committee on Wednesday. 
Update, two bills in yesterday's daybreak, AB 589 on document servitude and AB 1124 on respirators for outdoor workers, did pass the assembly, will now head to the Senate floor. Here's today's He Said It. This is a subject that never fails to break your heart. That's Senator John Cornyn, the Texas Republican, when asked about the prospects for an immigration reform bill passing in this Congress. Well, that's Daybreak West for this Wednesday, May 8th, brought to you by FMC. For the latest news out of Washington, D.C., visit AgriPulse.com. For AgriPulse Daybreak West, I'm Jeff Daly.